So this week, um, I get to talk to you again. I get to be with you again. Uh, Dan is still on vacation. And, um, or uh, actually, not vacation necessarily. Dan went to see the grandkids, uh, new grand, grandson, and uh, drove Deb out to spend some time out there. So, um, so our hearts are with Dan as he travels. Um, uh, this week, I'm going to be speaking from uh, Matthew chapter 16. Uh, we're going to begin in verse number 13. It says, uh, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, Some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Then he asked them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, You are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. So this is a wonderful scripture here where uh, right here Jesus says, Who do you say that I am? Who do you believe that I am? As you've followed me and you've learned about me, as have you heard my teachings and you've seen the things that are going on, who in your heart and with all that you are, who do you believe that I am? And Peter says, you are the Son of God. You are the Messiah. You're the one we've been waiting for this whole time. You're the one that's come. As we've prayed and longed for the Messiah to come and rescue us, to come and save us, you're the one we've been waiting for. And Jesus says, this isn't something you've been taught by other people. This isn't something that somebody has told you and you learned about it. This is something God has revealed to you. It's this wonderful example of how God reaches to us. God stirs in us. The Holy Spirit of God moves in us, drawing us towards this life with God that we're supposed to have. There's this, the Spirit moves in us and and draws us towards this understanding that Our life is incomplete. There's something else we need that we were created to be with our Creator. And through that, we learn Jesus is the way that we have that relationship. Jesus is the way that that we grow in this this wonderful relationship of love and grace that we were created to live in. That's not necessarily something that just we are taught. I can, as a youth leader, I can tell the youth group about it, but it's God that reveals that in their heart not the youth leader. It's as we tell and witness to people the best that we can about why we have faith. It's not necessarily our words. Our words might help them learn along the way, but it's really that moving of God that's happening inside of them. There's kind of this understanding that that John Wesley had that before we even knew there was a God, God was already moving and stirring in us, drawing us towards relationship with God. God already loved us. And God's already planting seeds and moving us so that as we grow up, we start to learn, start to believe that there is a God that wants relationship with me and I want relationship with God. Jesus is the way that I do that. So Jesus is pointing out, this is not something that you have heard or been taught necessarily. This is just something God has revealed to you in your spirit. And through this understanding, this believing, accepting of God's moving You've come to have this faith in me as the Messiah. We're going to skip down to verse 21. From then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly 
that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed, but on the third day, he would be raised from the dead. So right here he tells them he's going to be killed, and on the third day, he's going to be raised from the dead. He's very clear, tells them very plainly. He began teaching them this. Verse 22, But Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Heaven forbid, Lord, he said, this will never happen to you. Jesus turned to Peter and said, Get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you'll save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? This is the word of our holy God. Amen. When we read through the Old Testament scriptures um, today, we can look back and we can see little hints of, of Jesus or the Messiah going to be resurrected. We can look back now and say at Isaiah, and we say, okay, here's where Isaiah is talking about the Messiah being resurrected and, and dying. Um, we can look through the Psalms and we can see this little, these little hints and little references towards uh, a Messiah being being killed and suffering and dying, but also coming back to life. These little things that we look and see now, they didn't recognize back then. For the Hebrew uh, leaders of Scripture and the, all the, the leaders of, of religious law and things back then, their understanding was not that a, the Messiah was going to suffer and die. Their understanding was that the Messiah was going to come as, a, as the new Moses, the Messiah is going to come and lead them out of oppression. They're going to come and lead them to be a mighty nation in the world. So they, they had this idea that, in fact, that actually the Messiah was going to come and bring suffering and death to their enemies. That was the Hebrew understanding at the time, the Jewish understanding. Messiah is coming to save us from this oppressive uh, government, from this oppressive system. He's coming to save us, and when he comes... He's going to bring suffering and death to our enemies, and we will be a mighty nation. That's what they understood. That's the way they were taught to believe in this coming Messiah that they were waiting for, looking forward to this coming that their enemies would be put away. They never thought that the Messiah himself was going to suffer, that the Messiah himself was going to die. Their enemies are supposed to die, not the Messiah. He's the one coming to save them and rescue them. So when Jesus came and said, I'm going to die, it was so confusing for them because that's not what they've been taught all these generations, all these years. Messiah is going to come and save us and rescue us. He's going to put an end to all of our enemies, and we're going to be this mighty nation. But then Jesus comes and says, no, actually, I'm going to die. I'm going to suffer and die. They didn't understand that. They'd never been taught this. So they're also confused. What are you talking about? 
you're going to die and suffer. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all three of the Gospels capture this story pretty much the same way. There's little differences, but for the most part, they all capture this where Jesus tells them very clearly, I'm going to die and I'm going to rise again on the third day. And all three Gospels gives us this story how they were upset about the bad news that Jesus was going to die because that's not what they expected. That's not what they were thinking. That's not what they've been taught. That didn't fit their plan, their agenda for Israel becoming a mighty nation. How can he do that if he dies? They're so focused on the bad news that Jesus is going to die, it never occurs occurs to them to ask, well, what does a resurrected Messiah actually mean? They didn't even hear the good news that he's going to rise again. So they're not even, they don't even ask, well, what does that resurrected Messiah, what does that mean for me, for Israel, and ultimately for all humanity? What does that mean? He didn't, Jesus didn't really fit their agenda of the religious leaders. He didn't fit the agenda of even his closest followers. They kind of got this, they got this idea about Jesus, well, he's not what God wants. God wants our enemies to all be put away, to all be destroyed, and for us to be a mighty nation. That's what God wants, is the way they taught and the way they learned, and that's the way they understood Scripture. Then Jesus comes and reveals that's not at all what God wants. God wants something completely different than wiping out your enemies. And what we're going to see later on in the New Testament is actually what God wants is for all people, not just the Jewish people, for all people to come to faith in God. God's plan, what God wants, was nothing at all like what they wanted. So when Peter says, no, you're not going to die, heaven forbid, Lord, kind of what Peter's saying is, no, that's not what God wants. God wouldn't allow you to die because that's not what God wants. God wants you to live, to be our leader, to bring us to a nation of of power and glory. That's what God wants. Peter's trying to tell Jesus what God wants. Now, we wouldn't do that, would we? Would we try to tell Jesus what God wants or what we think God wants? Maybe. Right before this, Jesus is asking questions, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, I believe you are the Messiah. You are the one that's come for us. I believe you're the one we've been waiting for. But in the very next moment, Peter's actually trying to get Jesus to go against his divine purpose. He's trying to get Jesus to go against why God sent him in the first place. That's the kind of thinking that Satan tempted Jesus with in the wilderness for 40 days. When Jesus was in the wilderness, Satan was trying to tempt Jesus into doing things that were disobedient, that things that went against what his divine purpose actually was. That's the, he was twisting words and manipulating, trying to tempt Jesus into doing the opposite of what he was actually sent to do. It's the same kind of thinking that brought the fall of humanity back in the Garden of Eden, going against the whole divine purpose of what is set to be for the sake of what we think is the right thing or a good thing. That's the same kind of thinking that still allows sin to flourish, that allows division and hate and condemnation to to rise up and to not just exist in our world, but actually thrive in this world. 
Jesus says to Peter, get behind me with your Satan thinking. Get behind me with that kind of disobedient, we think we know what God's plan is. Get behind me with that because you're not leading the way. That's not the way we're going. God's got a different way in mind. So get behind me and I'll show you the way that we're supposed to go. There's kind of this pattern that we, that we kind of have as Christians where you know, God stirs in us, we realize our need for, for God, and we realize our need for Christ to have this relationship with God, and we come to faith, and it's this new wonderful thing, or maybe it's, it's new again, and this new again wonderful thing, and, and we grow in this relationship, but sometimes we start to get our own agenda worked in. We try to validate our own opinions. We try to validate our own political stances. We try to justify the reason why we, we think and reason the way we do, but then we kind of push aside this idea that Jesus is leading us in God's way. And so what happens is, while we believe and love Jesus, while we believe he is the way for us to have this relationship with God, ultimately, we try to walk our own way. We try to get Jesus to come and walk with us in our own way. But our way grows our kingdom. Our way furthers our mission and our self-derived purpose. And the problem with each of us going our way is that our way is filled with bias and limits, conditions. Our way is filled with selfish ambitions. Although we might not see it and realize it, ultimately, our way builds our agenda and kind of pushes aside anything else. Jesus makes it very clear that we cannot walk our way and follow him at the same time. He's pretty clear on that, and Jesus is not going to follow us. That's not the way it works. Jesus is leading us in God's way. So he's not going to follow us, and we cannot walk our own way and follow him at the same time. In our relationship with God, if we want to follow Jesus, then our way just no longer matters. Because our way causes the pain and suffering that Jesus is leading us to heal. Our way causes the division that Jesus is leading us to mend. Our way causes all the struggle and strife that Jesus is bringing us to, to peace in the situation. So Jesus says, you've got to give up your way. Because it's a lousy way anyway. He says it probably more gentle than that. Probably moves us a little more kind than that. But that's really what it, meant, what it means. Give up our way. Because it's a lousy way anyway. It's no good for anybody, including ourselves. When we give up our way and follow Jesus' way, then we are actually witnessing what God wants. We're actually moved to bring to life this kingdom of love and grace, acceptance and tolerance, of unity, peace. When we get out of our own way, give up that, that way, and we start following in Jesus' way, we start to see that, that all those who are, who are struggling in this world, there's a, there's a way for them 
to know peace. All those who are sick and, and hurting, there's a way for them to know healing. Those that have been hurt so deep, there's a way for them to trust and love again. And that's what we're supposed to bring, not more division, not more strife and struggle, not more anger. But somewhere along the way, we get this idea that, that when we believe in God and we trust in God, then God's okay with us going our way. That if I just believe that God is real and if I have this love for Jesus, then it's okay if I still try to go my own way. The problem is we kind of become rude and obnoxious in getting our way. We start trying to build our kingdom and we become spiritually arrogant. Is maybe a good way to say that. That I'm right and they're wrong. And we kind of become rude about our faith. Somehow as Christians, we become convinced that it's, it's okay for us to antagonize our opposers. For, it's okay somehow for us to, to make snide comments that imply that the other side is stupid or lesser human beings than we are because I know what God wants. God wants, as it would happen, the same thing I want. And we lose sight that there are people with different thoughts, different lifestyles, different ways of loving God. But if it's not my way, a part of the kingdom I'm trying to build, then it doesn't really fit my agenda. And it's probably okay for me if, if they don't love God the way that I love God. It's probably okay for me to antagonize and to push and maybe to even reject certain people. But the way of Christ is to completely sacrifice our way for his way. The way of Christ is to crucify our pride and ego in the name of love and grace. The way of Jesus is to stop demanding this is what God wants and is to just follow faithfully and see what God brings. That's the way of Christ. That was what the, the disciples kind of had to learn. They'd been taught all their lives, this is what God is doing. And when Jesus came, it wasn't at all what God is doing. Well, if that's the way it was for them when Jesus was actually with them, how do we know so full well this is what God is doing and this is exactly what God wants in this moment, in this place? How do we know that? If we would step back, maybe we'd see, actually, I'm trying to fit my agenda more than God's. And then that brings all this division and all this hate and anger. We can't have just discussion. It's got to be argument. We can't just have talk. It's got to be yelling and screaming. It's got to be harsh comments and hurtful jokes back and forth. As Christians, we have to realize that having an active role in these arguments, in the division, in the disparity of our culture that's to completely reject our purpose as Christians. For us to take part in the dividing of people is to completely renounce why we are the church. Our purpose is to bring healing and peace and love in the name of Jesus Christ, not division in the name of politics, not angst for the sake of a joke. Jesus asks, what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your soul? 
I think in our culture today, that question would be better translated as, how does it benefit you if you join the battles of this world but reject your purpose as a Christian and cast off your identity as a child of God? I think that's really what Jesus is saying. To get caught up in what causes the anger and the hate and the division is to completely reject I believe you to be the Son of God, the Messiah that came for my rescue, for my saving. I can't help but wonder if we would put as much energy into loving each other as we do antagonizing each other. I have to think this would look more like the kingdom of heaven on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus says, give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. Stop trying to make others live in your kingdom and follow me so that they may truly see what God's kingdom looks like. We need to stand for what we believe in, but we need to do it in a way that our spiritual conscience tells us is right. And we need to work against what we see as wrong, but We need to do it in a way that our spiritual conscience tells us is a right way to do it. And that means that we need to do it with kindness and gentleness and humility. Humility. That's something so desperately lacking in our culture today is humility. But that's the way Jesus came. In humility, with love and grace accepting all people and saying, I know you think you know what God wants, but if you would just follow me, I'll show you what God wants. That's what he's asking us to do today. Jesus isn't leading us to build our kingdom. He's leading us to bring God's kingdom to life, to the poor, to the sick, the oppressed, the hurting, to those that we often put down and reject, to the red and the blue, to the liberal, to the conservative, to the poor, to the rich, to everyone. That's who we're supposed to bring the kingdom to. So I'm going to ask the choir to come forward. And as they come forward, uh, take a moment and let's ask ourselves a couple questions. Which way am I going? Am I trying to go my way and bring Jesus along with me? Or am I actually going in Jesus' way? Which kingdom am I trying to build? Am I trying to build my own kingdom? Or am I trying to be a part of what God's doing and bringing his kingdom?